0: All right. I got a special guest on today who is coming in two different roles, both a former client and an expert on perfectionism. Jeffrey, Jeff Kramer, welcome to the podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your work.
1: Hi, Christina. I focus on helping people who struggle with perfectionism to learn how to manage that and redirect it into a more positive way. I present it as I help you break the code to unhackability and work life and play. And uh, that comes as a result of uh, a lifetime addiction to perfectionism that basically haunted me throughout a, a career in the design and construction industry and family life and pretty much everywhere I went. So I've kind of refocused my life at this point in time away from engineering and construction, and into helping other people who struggle with what I struggle with.
0: And I was just listening to your audiobook. I was telling you on a road trip, I listened to it for the entire drive. And it was so interesting to hear more of your background, because I know more of your present and what you're currently working on. But just to hear how much perfectionism has affected, like you said, not only your work life, but your interpersonal relationships as well kudos for being so vulnerable. That was so interesting to hear about. And I feel like I know you more and I know the struggle of perfectionism more because of that.
1: Yeah. I I really think that there is so much value in each one of us in our personal journeys and what we've experienced. And to say, I can help you with your struggles with perfectionism without sharing with you what I really struggled with, I think would be really inauthentic. So I felt the need to really put myself out there for me.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you did a beautiful job. We're going to get into the book, The Perfection Paradox, further down in the episode. But I would love for you to just tell everybody what made you decide to join Half Finished to Done Live, especially because you'd had so much hands-on experience with exactly this kind of work.
1: I really think that I had had a lot of experience with it and I've worked with other coaches and you know, still work with coaches. And I understood the whole process of focus and flow and avoiding distraction and getting things done, but I still wasn't. Yeah. And so I knew there was something missing, and I just couldn't put my finger on it. And I don't think I've ever told you this, Christina, but when we went into our consult, so I had somehow found you, I think through Shannon Mattern's podcast, you were a guest, and That's how I first uh, found out about you and, and started following you and seeing some of your work and listening to older podcast episodes. And then when I did a challenge, a free challenge with you and booked a consult, I really had no intention of signing up. I thought, no, no, this isn't it. And at, by the end of our consult, I just kind of felt like, you know what, this could be that missing something. And so that's why I jumped in. And it was. It was, the, uh, it was just that one little piece of the puzzle that I couldn't quite put the whole thing together yet, and that was what I needed to do it.
0: Jeff, I already cried this morning about my clients. <laughs> Something's happening for me. <laughs> You're going to make me emotional. I did not know that you were not intending to sign up. I think that's a really good reminder for anyone is just come to the consult. It's free. It's 45 minutes. And just come and see if it's a fit. So that's an invitation for everybody. And we have to give a shout out. We'll link in the show notes, Shannon Matter. And she's incredible. And every single human that has ever come to me from Shannon has been the most generous, warm, great attitude. So there's something magical about the way that Shannon cultivates her community. And I am so, I'm always so grateful when I get to siphon off members. (laughs) So what was missing? If you had to sum it up, what would you say was missing for you that you found in the program?
1: You know, I had a lot of experience with projects, but they were not mine, if you know what I mean. Yeah. They were for work. They were build a road or build a water treatment plant or a fire station or whatever it was. It didn't matter. And there was a very specific process that we followed every time. And I knew that process frontwards, backwards and upside down. And so it was easy and it was repetitive. But for me and my own personal projects, I didn't have that. I didn't have a process and I couldn't convert my constructing something to my personal projects. So I think what really was the missing piece is just having a simple, sensible process that was repeatable and that was diagnosable that I could follow to actually get something done. And as you know, my project when I went through your program was my audiobook. Yeah. So now I'm continuing to use the process for other projects I work on.
0: I feel like you've been rating my marketing because you keep saying simple, repeatable, and like that's exactly what it is, <laughs> simple and repeatable. So can you just articulate what you mean by diagnosable? Because I think that's a really interesting take.
1: Yeah, I think... No project goes perfectly from start to finish. We were talking a little bit before we came on about our new house that we had built and the issues that we're dealing with after construction. And it's true with any project, there are going to be hiccups along the way. And so the question is how easily can you figure out what the hiccup was, what caused it, and how do you fix it? And if that's too complicated, Then it frustrates you and you throw your hands up and you walk away, you get angry, conflict happens. You know, all kinds of different results can come from not being able to figure things out easily and take care of them. So, having a process where you can easily evaluate what did I do? What went right? What went wrong? Okay, now I've identified what went wrong. How can I fix it and get back on track? And the process that that you laid out in your program is just that way. I mean, it's a simple process. So when something breaks down, it's really easy to go back and look at it and say, okay, what did I do that got me off track so that I can fix it?
0: And I love that question, what did I do? And when we say that, we don't mean that in a blaming way. It's a taking responsibility way because when you're able to take responsibility, you are in control. And when you're in control, you can fix it. If it feels totally out of your control, there's nothing that can be done. I think you just somehow articulated it in a brand new way for me. It's like, obviously I created the program. I'm like, I know there's self-evaluations. I know they're important, but something about the way you just described the hiccups and the faster and more efficiently you can get to the root of the hiccups is the difference between finishing projects and staying in what I call the half-finished project vortex. That's it. That's honestly probably the summary of the difference. So thank you for that.
1: You bet. Happy to.
0: I would love to explore a little bit more the difference between your personal projects and the projects that you used to do at work. Obviously, very different subject matters, but what were the other fundamental differences that made your personal projects feel harder to take on?
1: Well, I think the easy explanation is just the structure of the project delivery process that I had in the construction world. We had Established scopes of work, established contract terms. We created schedules using scheduling software. We had regular schedule reporting with recovery schedule analysis if we were behind. We had daily inspections with photographs and inspectors. I mean, you have so many people involved, and every one of them has specific roles, knows what it is, does their daily task and their daily documentation. And so It's like a machine out there. And in a personal project, it's me, and I'm responsible for the schedule, and I'm responsible for inspecting my work and making sure I'm on track. And I'm responsible for developing a recovery plan if I get off track. And I don't have necessarily the same predefined scope and contract terms for myself. But with the project plan, that you taught how to develop, I basically created that. Now what I've done is I've created a basic scope of work. I've created a basic timeline and I've be- created these basic boundaries for what I intend to do. And so it's a very simplified form of an old construction contract, like what I used to work on, that made it much simpler to follow through step by step by step and and get it done as opposed to what i was doing before your program which was i'd look at a project i needed to do and go oh my god how am i ever going to get that done it's so overwhelming wait a minute i can go pull weeds instead Uh, um, or whatever the excuse was that day because that's what they were this was excuses and so now it's really easy to overcome those excuses because i can quickly put together that basic project plan to guide me through the project.
0: You touched on something, which is a door to a very big topic of, you mentioned overwhelm, but let's talk about feelings in general, which I know that on the DISC assessment, you are C, an I.
1: I'm a a high C.
0: High C, okay, yes.
1: High C, yeah.
0: So here's a few different directions I'd love to go with this is let's talk about what that actually means. Let's talk about how that relates to feelings. And then I would love to hear about how in Half Finished It On Live, the, your take on emotions changed, if at all.
1: Sure, we can do that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you love talking about emotions, right? <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. High Cs. We love feelings and emotions. High Cs are very procedural Uh, We like process, we like structure, we are very logical, very uh, process-oriented, we're rule followers, not rule breakers. And so, you know, I contend that you can oftentimes figure out where someone is on the disc spectrum just by what they do for a living. Engineers are Cs, accountants are Cs, surgeons, a lot of them are Cs, a lot of them are Ds, but... (laughs) We like that precision, we like that exactness when we're Cs. And we're thinkers, not feelers, and we are processors, not charge-ahead doers. So we tend to take more time to be more deliberative about things and think them through to their logical conclusions. And so feelings were a challenge for me. And you know, in your program, and even in the free challenge that you're running right now, a lot of your process is about assessing how you're feeling about what you're doing or not doing. And that was truly a challenge for me to grasp how to do that. I think I'm better at it now. I honestly would not say I'm great at it by any stretch of the imagination. It's just not my natural inclination. Yeah. But I'm better at understanding how I'm feeling now. And I think it's important. To get to that point, because a lot of times we interpret how we're feeling, we take how we're feeling and we redirect that into a response without truly understanding it. So a lot of times, especially if you're a perfectionist or a procrastinator, you're putting things off and then You have certain feelings about that. You're angry, you're disappointed, or you're sad, or whatever that feeling is. But then you turn that into, I'm a failure, or I'm no good. And that's not really the truth. It's just a misinterpretation of your feelings because you don't understand them.
0: Yes. I think that's so important. It's just, it's like everyone has the emotions. Everyone has the feeling line of the model of thoughts, feelings, actions, results. And some people rely on it more than others. But where is it actually driving you in a way that you're not even seen that it's driving you, right? So I think that's a myth. It's like, I don't have feelings. I'm like, no, you do. And it's driving you. But you said you're skipping so fast past the feeling that it's just ending up in self-criticism and judgment.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's very easy to do for people who are inclined more to thinking than feeling because we focus on the thoughts and then we like to take action based on what we're thinking. And so the feelings get lost in the middle. Yeah.
0: The reason I thought to bring it up is because you mentioned that sometimes before you had this process, you would get overwhelmed. And then let's use the example of you would go weed. That is such a good example my guess, so push back if I'm wrong, is that the feeling of overwhelm just felt so true in the moment and irreparable maybe. There's like, yep, that's overwhelm, done. Now I have to go and do something else versus let me sit with the overwhelm and work through it. What is your take on that?
1: Oh, yeah, that's absolutely true. That feeling of overwhelm would immediately translate to, I can't do this. Yeah. And so I'd go do something I could do. Right, Because that was a lot easier than working through, okay, how can I do this instead?
0: Yeah, that's a really good prompt for everybody is when you feel overwhelmed, what do you go do in that moment? You're trying so hard to get out of the feeling of overwhelm and ask yourself too, what is the feeling I'm trying to get instead? So like when you were weeding and you knew how to weed and you were doing it, how did you feel?
1: Well, the first part was relief Mm -hmm. because it eliminated the overwhelm and then the second part was a feeling of accomplishment because I was getting something done yeah. and that thing that I needed to do that was overwhelming me that oh I can't I just can't do this the underlying fear was not I can't do this it was can I accomplish it will I feel like I've I've actually done something if I do this and you know for me that fed right into the I'm not good enough into that lie that basically ruled my life.
0: You talked about this, actually made a note about relief, but relief that comes, you procrastinate and then you're just like, you know what? Screw it. I'm not doing it, essentially. Yeah. And then you feel relief. The way that I teach this concept is that we have emotions that are positive, but not productive. So, for example, when you go and you weed and you feel accomplished and relieved, Those are positive emotions, but they're not productive in that they're not driving you towards the actual result that you want. So do you have anything else to add about that idea of relief when you don't actually want to be feeling relief?
1: No, I think the difference between Jeff a few years ago and Jeff now is understanding this a lot better. The feeling of relief that comes from giving up on what I need to be doing to go pull weeds versus the feeling of relief from sitting back and thinking through, okay, how can I do this? And not so much how can I get it done, but how can I make some progress? How can I put a dent in it? And then when you put that dent, there's that feeling of relief that is totally different feeling of relief. There's this, this satisfaction level that's noticeably different. Feeling relieved and accomplished about pulling weeds isn't very satisfying. Right. It's just, okay, I got something done. Yay. Yay me.
0: I think it's the same satisfaction that we get when we put unimportant things on our to-do list and then check them off. We get high off that feeling, but we know Deep down, we know that that's not actually the thing that's gonna move us towards the result that we want, but it's just that instant gratification. And so I always recommend to people, I'm like, screw checking off something unimportant on your to-do list. You know what feels actually satisfying? Finishing a project, making a dent in a project.
1: Yep, very true.
0: Okay, so there's so many concepts from the perfection paradox that I want to talk to you about as the perfection expert. Can you just articulate for us what the perfection paradox is?
1: Sure. So the perfection paradox is basically this life that we live in pursuit of perfection, thinking that perfection is good, that if I do everything perfectly, then everything is going to be great. I'm going to have this wonderful life. People are going to love me. I'm going to accomplish so much. And it's false. It's a lie because we spend our life in pursuit of perfection which really is unattainable. And we don't recognize what we're doing along the way to ourselves, to our family, to coworkers or employees, uh, to others around us. And it's this spiral that we get into that we try to be perfect and then we can't be. But when we aren't, we become critical of ourselves and we try harder to be perfect the next time which we can't be, so we fail again. And then we end up reflecting that on to everyone around us. So the perfection paradox, all that really is just this falsehood that perfection is a good thing and that living our life in pursuit of it is the wrong pursuit.
0: You alluded to this, but I thought it was super interesting the way that you broke down the three different types of perfectionism. Can you go into those?
1: Sure. Sure. So this is um, this came from a study done by Thomas Curran and Andrew Hill, a couple of professors from England and um, both great guys, by the way. So they did a, a very lengthy study and they came out with their finding of three basic types. One of those is self-oriented perfectionism, which is the pressures that we put on ourselves to be perfectionists. And I really believe that that's personality-based. So there's your disc C coming into play, right? I need to follow the process. I need to do everything perfectly. Can't have any errors. Uh, I actually, uh, at one point, thought that if I made a mistake, I was going to kill somebody. Wow. So that pressure I put on myself to be perfect in everything that I did at work was overwhelming. And we see this a lot with grad students because they know if they don't get perfect scores they could get washed out of their grad program especially doctoral students so self-oriented perfectionism is what we put on ourselves other oriented perfectionism is the when perfectionism is expected of us by others so it could be a parent a coach a teacher you know whoever and their expectation for us is that we do everything perfectly or we would not be accepted or loved or appreciated by them. And then the third type is uh, socially prescribed perfectionism. And that's really what our environment puts on us. And, you know, in today's world, that's driven a lot by social media, Instagram influencers, right, those sorts of things. But it could also be your circle of friends, that are expecting you to dress a certain way, act a certain way, speak a certain way, whatever it might be. So you have this pressure from that social environment, not an individual like the other oriented. So those are the three, basically the three types in the multidimensional perfectionism spectrum.
0: My brain started turning so quickly as soon as I heard that. And what was particularly interesting to me was one, thinking about the origins of these patterns and just where they come from in your life, in anyone's life, and the other-oriented perfectionism, how you could be a perfectionist yourself, and then you take that expectation and you put it on the other people around you. So not just you absorbing other people's perfection, but you actually reflecting out expectations of perfection for the people around you. That was particularly fascinating to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And In reality, the self-oriented perfectionism was my biggest factor, right? I put all the pressure on myself. My parents never put pressure on me, my coaches and teachers. I didn't have that. You need to be perfect or I won't accept you type of influence. It was all internal. Maybe a small piece of social, but it was all self. But then in return, in my life growing up, as a parent, as a boss, I put so much pressure on others to be perfect because I had such a strong drive to be perfect myself. And I just had incredibly unreasonable expectations for people Yeah, and never really felt like I put the pressure on that said, be perfect or I won't accept you, be perfect, or I won't love you, be perfect, or I won't appreciate you as an employee. But my feeling about that didn't matter. What mattered was their feeling about that. And uh, I'll give an example. My kids growing up, you know, everybody wants their kids to help out around the house, do some chores, clean up or whatever. If one of my girls loaded the dishwasher and I happened to go by and see it, I could look right away and say, oh you know there's still a couple of dishes in the sink and if they had organized this differently when they loaded it those could be fit in as well so i would reload the dishwasher the girls would see me do that and to me it was you know if they could learn how to load the dishwasher more efficiently they could get all this in and we could get all the dishes done in one load to them it was uh, he doesn't appreciate that I loaded the dishwasher, he just is going to redo it no matter what I do and so they just quit loading the dishwasher
0: right, disincentivize, yeah,
1: so for me, I was looking for them to be more effective in how they loaded the dishwasher, and for them, they were looking for me to appreciate that they were helping with the chores, and that translated through work, uh, it translated through you know other relationships I mean it was very damaging, but I didn't recognize it.
0: I think it's interesting too, that perfect can mean so many different things. So like in some contexts, it sounds like it meant more effective and some maybe more efficient, faster, whatever it means in context to this specific task.
1: Yeah, very true. I think that it can depend too on your level of perfectionism, Mm -hmm. right? Some people are slightly perfectionistic. They like a certain thing done a certain way. And for me, it was pretty extreme. I had the way I wanted everything done, the way I wanted the towels folded, the way I wanted the dishes loaded, the way I wanted the lawn mowed, the way I wanted the paper written, the way I wanted the presentation worded. So I was perfectionist bordering on obsessive-compulsive behavior. Yeah, And yeah, so it did. It existed in so many different ways for me that it was just the way of life.
0: Let's talk about that. I'm super curious how it manifested for you on a daily basis. Like what were you feeling without your current self-awareness? Just going back to those moments, what were you feeling regularly?
1: I was always stressed because... I wanted everything to be perfect and I was always anticipating what's going to go wrong first.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So there was no down, there was no relax. Uh, everything was planned out in excruciating detail. I mean, even, you know, family vacation, you know, I would put so much effort into planning the route to minimize backtracking, to make sure that we hit the right stops and attractions in the right order, to maximize time. I mean, it was. Everything was always lined up and planned out, and there was no room for what I would have considered an error or a mistake, but what other people would have considered flexibility. And so it always had me on edge. It always had me stressed out, and it made me very irritable. In fact, my daughters, if any of them were here, would pop in and tell you that then versus now was like a totally different person.
0: Can I ask you when this happened? Like how long ago was this that you had the biggest breakthroughs?
1: It was September 23rd, 2014.
0: I love that you can pinpoint it. Yeah. That's really interesting because my life changed in August of 2014. That is like the delineation mark between my old life and my new life, which is, we're very close on our timelines. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So You're saying some of the common thoughts that I think people hear in their own brain. So I just want to reflect those back so that people can really hear themselves in this, right? So you've talked about stressed, irritable, on edge, but the thoughts, the ones that stuck out to me are, I need to do it in the right order. So just the word right, Mm -hmm. as if there's a right and a wrong, and I am solely responsible for finding the right way, as if it's carved in stone. And you mentioned maximize time. And I think people think because I'm a procrastination coach, I'm like, let's get to it. Go, 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 right? And I do move fast, but we can get into this obsession of maximizing time. And what's so interesting with both of those thoughts is I call them backfiring thoughts. My friend taught me this phrase. They both lead you into the exact opposite result of what you want. So when you're trying desperately to find the right order, you find no order. You just stop taking action, right? You're paralyzed. Or if you're trying to maximize time, you're like obsessed with maximizing time, you end up wasting so much time, ironically. Yeah. What is your take on that?
1: Yeah, no, I, I would agree totally. There was that time for me when there was only one right order and everything had to be done in that right order. And if it wasn't, it was incredibly stressful and disruptive. Uh, I would be angry about it. and. You know, I, I recall going on a vacation with the family and one of our stops, we were in Colorado, one of our stops was going to be Garden of the Gods. And it was in route, right? It was the stop in order on the day and we got there and it was closed because there was a wildfire nearby. So they would closed Garden of the Gods at that point in time. And I was so mad because it threw us off schedule because... Now we had to figure out what to do to kill a couple hours before we left for our next stop. This is me processing at the time. Yeah. Just go to the next stop. You say, oh, this one's closed. Okay, well, let's keep going. But in my mind, no, no. I've got two hours allocated for this. Now what am I gonna do with those two hours? And so you get so caught up in that there's only one right way that you can't see past it. So, yeah, no, you you hit it dead on. It's crazy how controlling those thoughts can be.
0: The phrase that popped into my head is you lose perspective, right? Like even in that case, I just want to commend you for your vulnerability. First of all, before I say this, I'm like, this is amazing that you're willing to talk about this. Is it hard for you?
1: No, not at all.
0: Okay. Amazing. Not,
1: not anymore. <laughs> yeah.
0: That is a testament to having done the work for sure. I'm just thinking about it as like, you know, your brain goes to there's two hours to kill instead of there's a wildfire, right? And I think about situations in my past where I'm like, this, a thing that I'm obsessed with has to happen and I lose the perspective that's actually important. And I mean, I've even had this happen for sure in my business, right? I need to make a sale versus this is someone's life. Right here, right? We all do it. So it's very human. I think this is also really interesting to then look at from the perspective of 2022 you versus 2014 you. What do you know now about the emotions that were hiding beneath the irritation and the stress and the feeling on edge?
1: Well, there was a lot of struggle with feelings of worthiness or lack of worthiness, uh, of not being good enough and This thought that if I was perfect, then I was good enough and I would be worthy of whatever it was I was trying to be worthy of. And I think now the difference is I understand I don't have to be perfect to be worthy and I don't have to be perfect. I mean, the audio book that you listen to, Lord knows it's not perfect, but it's good enough. It was good enough to submit, it was good enough to publish, and and I'm happy with it. And I'm happy that, you know, someone would listen to it and enjoy it or take something away from it. And I kind of came around from this perspective of I need to be perfect all the time to, if something I say or do can make a difference for one person, then it was all worthwhile, no matter what it took. Before 2014, I couldn't have got there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's important. So the worthiness. And I think that can be like other words for that inadequacy, uncertainty, right? I think also feeling out of control can be a big one for people. And what's so interesting hearing you talk about the book is I'm like, huh? Loved it. Learned so much. I literally think about this topic all day, every day. And I learned so much. You presented new things that I had never thought about. Let's use that to segue into a conversation about true value. So this is a concept that I've been working on, which is one of the ways to get out of perfectionism as a business owner is noticing what are all the ways that I'm trying to be perfect, quote unquote, versus what are the ways that I can truly give value to my stakeholders? So clients, customers, team members, contractors. And the reason I'm asking about this is because I feel like sometimes with people who describe themselves as perfectionists, what can happen is that we're like, okay, well, it's not going to be perfect. Great. I'll just settle for inferior work quality. That's the best I'm going to do. Whereas I'm like, no, your work product can still be amazing. It's not going to be perfect, but it can still be incredible. So what is your take on true value and how to really find that for yourself?
1: Yeah. I, I think you hit the nail on the head with something you said there and the way that I would phrase it is it's about seeking excellence instead of perfection. Yeah. So you can create an excellent product that has imperfections. And, um, I I think when, when I was first challenged about my perfectionism beliefs, the challenge that I had was let something be good enough and don't, push it past that, just accept it that it's good enough, and then see what happens, see what the see what the result is of stopping there. And that was really eye-opening for me because I was letting things go that before I would have kept driving at. And nobody was questioning it. Nobody was coming back and saying, hey, this isn't good enough. This isn't it was all fine. And so I really at that point, started refocusing on, okay, how can I do excellent work even if it's not perfect work? And that is, I think, a, it was a real revelation for me. I think that is a real differentiator. And so I think in terms of true value, if you're providing quality work, whatever it is you're doing, whether that's your job work or something at home or church or wherever it is, if what you're providing is quality and it meets the need of whoever you're providing it for. It doesn't have to be perfect as long as it serves the purpose.
0: That is such a good prompt to pull people out of the weeds is what is the purpose? Does this serve the purpose as is? And I was going to ask you about that exercise because I know that that was something you did a few times per day prompted by another coach. So I loved that. I would totally recommend that to everybody is multiple times per day notice, where am I tempted to keep going on this and how could I let it just be? Do you have an example?
1: Yeah. I. So one of the examples that I talk about is I had a, it was at work and I had uh, an employee who was working on a, a report and the report that they provided, they were provided to our department director, my boss, and I didn't think it was good enough right? I would have done more. I would have included more detail. I would have whatever, right? Department director was thrilled with the report, gave him everything he needed. He was happy with it. And so to me, that type of experience really exemplified for me, okay, you can let some things go. You don't have to keep pushing for more until it meets that perfection standard. And I let a lot of little things go. I mean, even, you know, things like I didn't reload the dishwasher or I didn't refold the towel or whatever it was. But, yeah, that exercise was to post three times a day in the private group something that I had let go and to do that for two weeks. That was tough.
0: Okay, this is so good. So I recommend to clients having like a stop doing list. It's all of the things that you're currently doing that are low value that don't actually have impact and i'm like you could totally rename this your imperfection list so it's everything that is just past the point of diminishing returns right so you have excellence and then notice what is the gap between excellence and perfection for me what are the things that i try to do to close that gap and what if i just stopped doing those things i feel like that could change your life i mean it changed your life right
1: yeah very much so and i i think people would be surprised at what falls into that Gap because they're going to notice it's a lot of things that they do routinely that are not value added. I I talk about it in the book. It's you've got to unlearn some habits and replace them with new ones that serve you better because you've just been doing things that don't serve you well.
0: I think that one of the hardest things that you'll replace those habits with is the habit of doing nothing, right? Sometimes the actual action you should be taking is nothing. I have had to teach myself this one million times. It's like my brain's like you should prevent, you should intervene, you should meddle, you should micromanage. Those are my go-tos. And then I had a moment where I was getting coached and I was, what if my action was nothing? I do literally nothing and just wait. And that is so hard, but that was massive for me.
1: Yeah, I have a friend who's a, uh a speaker and an author, and he he teaches a lot on communication, and one of his favorite phrases is, there's power in the pause.
0: All right, Jeff, we covered project planning. We talked about emotions. Thank you for going there. We talked about the DISC assessment, which we will put a link to in the show notes. Your book, we'll for sure put a link to, and the audio book, that holds a special place in my heart because it's the project that you did within the program. Um, So people have a ton of follow-up resources and then that last exercise of taking time to notice what is the gap between excellence and perfection and what if you stopped trying to close the gap. So good. Thank you so much for all of this. How can people follow up with you?
1: I'll give you two ways, Christina. One is if they're interested more in the perfection paradox, they can go to perfectionparadoxbook.com There's some information there and um, some different resources. Uh, And they can find me at jeffreyacramer.com. I've got some free perfectionism resources available there and other ways that they can contact me uh, if they're interested in learning more. And the beauty of that site is it's not done, but it's live because it didn't have to be perfect to go live. It just had to be good enough to get me started.
0: Is it excellent? That's the real question.
1: The parts that are there are excellent.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Perfect answer. I love it. (laughs) That's so good. (laughs) Way to close us out on a high note. Okay. Last question for you. Do you have one piece of advice for people who are considering joining Half Finished to Done Live or who have already enrolled and are about to start?
1: Uh, For anyone who is considering, I would say just stop considering and do. Yes. For anyone who has signed up and is getting ready to start, I would say dive in fully, you know, engage in the process, engage in the conversation. And it's not just the time with you, Christina, as fantastic as that time is, but the fellow members of your cohort and taking the time to listen to them during the calls to read their assignments when they post them and go through and understand how others are thinking about the material and relating to it to me that was really helpful because i was getting those different perspectives and different thoughts about it and like i said being a thinking not a feeling person that really helped me to understand it more fully so Yeah. So it would be just engage fully in the process with Christina and with your fellow cohort members.
0: Such good advice. I love that. Thank you so much for joining today, Jeff. It
1: was a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to the Half Finished to Done podcast. If you're ready to become a self assured repeat project finisher, the best place to work with me is in my eight week group coaching program, Half Finished to Done Live. You'll leave our time together with one finished project and the skills you need to finish any project, personal or business, in the future. Just head to peakcoaching.co/hfdlive for your next step. Can't wait to work with you.